The word of the Lord from our epistle reading, verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I've got some news for you all. All of you gathered here, and and in fact, even for those who may be joining us through live stream or through our cable broadcast, you are all a bunch of fools. You offended by that? I wouldn't blame you. But as we understand and listen to the Word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I think we'll come to understand perhaps a little bit better what is meant by that in this context and how that compares and contrasts to the wisdom of the world, as it's called. You are all a bunch of fools. Now, on the one hand, I don't know if I'd mind that, because I would imagine that all of us have done some foolish things, haven't we? In fact, when was the last time you did something foolish? A few years ago? Back in college? Or high school? Or last night? What does it mean to be foolish? Or to, as it were, be a fool? In our section of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the word foolish or folly is used uh, five times in those verses. And the definition, again, is one that um, makes us wonder, what does it mean? And so we have uh, the definition that says that foolishness or folly would be a lack of good sense. And again, I think we all can relate to that. We can relate to the fact that we've done some things that are probably pretty foolish and silly at times. But you'll notice another word on the screen there, which really gets its meaning more directly from the Greek word that is used for folly or or fool, and that is moron or moronic. Now, I would guess that it carries a little bit more negative weight if someone were to say to you, you're all a bunch of morons. Because now it's not just seeming to address things that you have done, but who you are. Someone who apparently has no sense whatsoever. Someone who is completely misguided and can pretty much be dismissed by those around them. So having said that, with that definition, who wants to be called a fool? And if that's what is inferred by the word from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, then perhaps we need to dig a little deeper. Because on the surface, the title of the scripture and our message happens to be the folly of God. But it doesn't take much to realize that if that's the folly of God, then what does that mean for you and me? 
For as much as we may not want to be called fools, listen to what St. Paul says just a couple chapters later. If we are defending our wisdom and our intelligence and our knowledge, which we would have the right to do, St. Paul says this from chapter 3, verse 18, If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. Let him become a fool. Again, my guess would be that not many people want to go down that road. There's a devout Christian whose words I came across, a man by the name of Jack McCall. But he wrestled with this very topic of this part in Scripture that talks about Christians being fools. And here's what he said. And as you hear these words, I'd invite you to consider whether or not you felt or thought along the same lines as him. He says this, Who in this world wants to become a fool? It sounds like backwards thinking, doesn't it? But I believe the word fool in the above passage refers to a humble servant. We know what the world does, though, to humble servants. It persecutes them physically and emotionally. In my experience, he writes, my pride and fear of persecution have caused me to avoid being a fool for Christ. I was the guy who would sit back and judge the followers of Christ, especially when they would demonstrate their love for him in ways that seemed foolish and out of this world. But that was the point. Their acts of love on his behalf were not of this world and therefore seemed foolish. I worked very hard hiding the fact that I was a Christian to avoid being judged or rejected. Again, I don't know about you, but I think I can certainly relate to what Jack says. Who wants to be called a fool? And how hard do we work at trying to hide the fact in certain times or places or situations that we are, in fact, Christians because it might stand out. It might get noticed that compared to the rest of the world, we are but fools. And that leads really to uh, ask the question at times about this concept of the world and God. In this passage of Scripture, God does set that up as a direct comparison. He compares his wisdom with the wisdom of the world. And on the one hand, I think as Christians, we can understand that. We, we know what is meant by that, that because we are Christians, we are called to be separate from the world. And, and we know that, that following God and being his disciples often automatically pits us against the wisdom of the world. But at times that comes across like a, 
like setting up a straw man, though, doesn't it? It's one thing to say, oh, those out there, the, quote, world. But at the same time, is that not our world? Are we not still part of the world? And how are we to know which part of the world is, is, quote, not good, and yet which part of the world do we embrace? Did not God create the entire world? And did not Jesus say that God still loves the world? Just to give you a little teaser, coming up in in the season of Lent on Sundays, we're going to begin a, a preaching series based on that passage of John 3.16, For God so loved the world, And actually, it's called God Still Loves the World. And we'll have a chance to kind of explore what it means to talk about the, quote, world out there as if it's all evil and bad, and yet at the same time realize that it's the same world that we live in and for whom Christ died. But having said that, here in this passage, we see a distinct difference between those who follow Christ and who accept the message that God gives to us. In verse 21, we hear these words where the Lord says, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You see, preaching and the message of the cross is in fact foolishness. Think about it. Now, I realize if we're blessed to have grown up in the faith, to be in a situation where there may never have been a day where we didn't know who Jesus was and that God loved us, that it might make sense. In fact, William Willimon, who used to be the dean of chapel at the prestigious Duke University, said it this way. He said, that's the danger of spending so much time in church that God's grace and his foolishness starts to make sense. But when that happens, we perhaps can't understand just how radical and how foolish an idea it is that God would choose to save the world through the death of his son. You talk about foolishness. You talk about things that lack good sense. Well, that's God. I mean, does it make sense that God would create the world? And even after the world would reject him, that he would decide that it's still worth redeeming. Does it make sense that he would send his son who would be rejected by the world And yet that that son, as he was being crucified, would say, Father, forgive them. Does it make sense that a little baby, who to us seems to have no comprehension or ability to, quote, believe, is given the gift of faith through the waters of baptism? Does it make sense that when we come before the altar and receive bread and wine that we participate and remember and and experience the very body and blood of Christ in his death and resurrection? Does it make sense that we, 
who are but sinful. Come to worship and simply believe and confess our sins and hear the words, you are forgiven. Have exactly what they say. That doesn't make sense. And yet, that's precisely how God operates. The message, the message of the cross. For that's how this section summarizes it so succinctly. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. That which is foolish is actually the power. And that's how God does things, doesn't he? That's how God operates. If you had to really define who is foolish in this section, you'd have to determine that if it's based on the, quote, wisdom of the world, God is really the foolish one. And his son, Jesus, is the foolish one. Who would give all that up to be crucified? And what Jesus did for us is summarized in the powerful word of the cross. You may have noticed those who came in this door over here by the elevators that there's a beautiful ice sculpted cross that was placed outside, compliments of the snow fest. What a beautiful thing to be able to enjoy and look at. It's beautiful when it's carved in ice like that and ornate, ornately uh, worked on. Um, but yet, the cross in reality, the cross that Jesus hung on, in one sense was not beautiful at all. It was ugly. It was barbaric. It was a place of death. And yet... It is in that death that God, in his wisdom, has chosen to give us life. So that brings us around to you and me again. For you see, there is a word for us here, and it's true. Because of Jesus, well, St. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake. He's not just talking about himself or the other apostles here. I believe his word can be applied to all Christians. You and I are fools for Christ's sake. Why? Because we believe what God has done for us. We believe the foolishness of the cross, the foolishness of God's grace and his forgiveness. And that leads us to do, quote, foolish things. This past week was National Lutheran Schools Week at St. Lawrence and in Lutheran schools around the country and around the world. And as such, and any of you students who were part of that, or if you have been in the past, you know that there can be some silliness that goes on during National Lutheran Schools Week because we get the chance to to dress up perhaps, just to have some fun. The week is kind of set apart as being different. And I have to tell you what a privilege it is to work with colleagues professionals, and not just teachers on our staff, but also the the other support staff that works as well. 
and to see the willingness that they have to be, quote, fools for Christ. And that might involve some silliness, but not for the sake of being silly. It's ultimately for the sake that this Lutheran school can be that place where the love of God is experienced every day. And the joy of being a Christian is embraced and celebrated. And so with that, I I invite you to consider a couple pictures that were uh, snapped during this, uh, over uh, over the past, to be able to see the different folks who have done certain things And this past Thursday happened to be Superhero Day. Now, I think in my book, all of the people in that picture are superheroes because of what they have chosen to do with their lives and their callings. But at the same time, you can see the kind of fun that can be had because of the joy that we have in Christ. But not everyone is called to serve as a professional church worker, of course. Not everyone even has the privilege of being able to work at a Lutheran school and church like like I do. But that doesn't mean that we all, in our own ways, aren't called to live a life that may seem foolish to those around us. And in some ways, you could say that it's being easier and easier to be a fool for Christ because of the culture that we live in. That which was considered, quote, normal generations ago is now being viewed as being foolish. The next image that I'd show you is there from Washington, D.C. That's the Washington Monument. And with all the news over the last couple weeks, of course, I would think most people would recognize that. You might guess that that's a picture from uh, the president's inauguration. Or maybe the one that got so much attention was the women's march on the Saturday after the inauguration. But that picture is from neither of those. In fact, this picture is from a march that you might not have heard anything about because those who participated in it would, by many regards be viewed as fools because this is a picture from the march for life where hundreds of thousands of people gathered to to demonstrate and to lift up the fact that life is precious in God's eyes from the moment of conception even to old age and gray hairs to the point of being very frail That God cherishes each life. And he is the one who is in control of that life. Not much was made of this march. And it wasn't the first time that this march was there. In fact, it was the 44th time that this march has experienced. Because our society looks at people who would highlight such things. And because it goes against the, quote, wisdom that they have established, it is viewed as perhaps being foolish. It's easier and easier to be a fool for Christ these days because all it takes is simply living out the calling that God gives us 
The book of Micah says, this is what is required of you, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. Pretty simple. Jesus puts it in such stark contrast. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are meek, those who are persecuted. To turn the other cheek, to always do what's right, that's considered foolishness these days. But to us who are being saved, the message of the cross and forgiveness is the power of God. And so, as we have the opportunity to live out our lives, we do so with the knowledge that, yes, we have a foolish God, we have a foolish Savior, and we live a foolish life. But we have the opportunity to experience and to share that love with others. And so I invite you to read these final words again from our lesson from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25. The words that say, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.